Welcome to the Lord's Gym. My name is Jesse Romero. I'm the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the Latin lover of Our Lady, and I'm reporting for duty. Terry, what about you? I'm reporting also, Jesse, Terry Barber, the Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and the Lebanese lover of Our Lady, and I'm honored to be here on Virgin Most Powerful Radio to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen. Just want to remind people that the month of April is dedicated to the devotion to the Holy Eucharist and devotion to the Holy Spirit. And so let's remember, let's stay Christ-centered in the Eucharist, and let's remember that we are people that have been filled with the Holy Spirit through baptism and strengthened through the Holy Spirit through confirmation. Terry, we got a great show today. Yeah, we do, Jess. You picked a great article. What's the problem with Freemasonry anyway? You know, we talk about it over the years. We're going to give a documentation of a chronological order of what the church has consistently taught about Freemasonry. That's going to take a good portion of the show, but we're also going to end on a high note. Seven things you need to know about Divine Mercy. Yeah, we just had Divine Mercy Sunday, so that uh, is going to be a, a highlight to end at the show. But for your good-to-know file, Jess, I'm going to, are you ready for this one? Matt yes. Walsh, he quits YouTube after demanding he use trans pronouns. See, they're, they're telling him if you keep using, if, you don't, if you're not going to be politically correct on YouTube, then... We're going to wow. take you out. First, they, they took him, so they, they deactivated his fundraising money. So they they demonetizing his YouTube channel. So basically, he's taking it on the chin, and he's saying, okay, I'll, I'll leave. I'll go somewhere else. Also, good to know, File, tomorrow we'll know. The Supreme Court extends its hold on the Texas ruling against the abortion pill until tomorrow. So <clears throat> hopefully we'll know, and we hope and pray that decision will be for life and all those unborn babies that are waiting right now to hear what's going to happen to them. And please, God, let's make, you know, matter of fact, on Friday, let's make some sacrifices in praying that the Supreme Court will make their right to, right decision for life. That's the news I got, Jess. How about you? <clears throat> yeah, a couple of things I want to mention is uh, there's an exiled bishop who pities the Nicaraguan dictator. <laughs> Auxiliary Bishop Silvio Baez of Managua, Nicaragua, who's living in exile in the U.S., responded to new verbal attacks by Nicaraguan dictator Daniel Ortega by saying in part, when when Ortega says these things, you have to interpret that it is for his people. They see him as strong, and deep down, those of us who hear him must think that that it's a sign of weakness, Mm. a sign of desperation. He knows that he's alone inside and outside the country, close quote. Also, <clears throat> um, as uh, another, another item that I think is important to share is that the uh, Democrat, fake Catholic Democrat Tim Kaine, he's, he's dead wrong. He, he's saying that the FBI infiltrating Catholic churches, Tim Kaine said, quote, it's all just a big misunderstanding. <sighs> I don't think so, Tim Kaine. cover for them, huh? Okay, I get yeah, it. Yeah. What would you expect, Terry, from a man of the left? <clears throat> also, female inmates are terrified of trans bunkmates. Yeah, of course. Anybody who transferred into a woman's correctional facility by way of SB 132, California law that permits men to transfer into women's prisons by merely claiming to be women under the, under the banner of having a gender identity other than their sex can request bed moves whenever and to wherever they want. None of the female inmates, she knows, writes Anna Ichikawa, were prepared for the influx of menacing, burly, male bunkmates 
this is psychological warfare. And, and Jesse, on that case, until this. they sue the state, the government for that action, uh, I don't think it'll stop. They need to sue the tar out of the state of whatever state that is uh, to say, look, you know, you you made this decision. Now you pay the consequences because of several women being raped or even murdered in the prison. I think that's what's going to take. That's what it's going to take to stop this. Wow. Archbishop attacks DeSantis over immigration bill. Miami Archbishop Thomas Wensky. I don't know. I'm not sure if he's a man of the left, but it wouldn't surprise me. Recently bashed Florida, Florida Republican governor Ron DeSantis for championing the state bill to control illegal immigration, which has been on the rise throughout the Biden presidency. Yeah. Archbishop Wensky last year came under fire when he mistakenly spread a misinformation about DeSantis, which originated in a leftist attack and that uh, uh, an ad that falsely claimed the governor had called immigrant children disgusting. So, yeah, D- yeah, Wensky is a man of the left. Uh, my, well, my... Jesse, they're all scared about anybody who's conservative right now. Anybody who has right reason and common sense, that's enemy, man. I mean, they, they're, they're going to go after the Trumps, the DeSantis, anybody who teaches just n- common sense. Yeah, uh, common sense, pop- n- yeah, normal legislation. They're the enemy now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one more also, the Senate fails to condemn the military's abortion funding the Senate on Wednesday narrowly voted down a resolution condemning a new Veterans Affairs Administration rule that provides taxpayer, fund, taxpayer funding for abortions at military facilities. Democratic Senator Joe Manchin was the only member of his party to vote for the resolution. Republicans Lisa Murkowski and Susan um, Collis voted against awesome. it. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. yeah no, no surprise there, Jess. Yeah. What else do you have, Jess? That's it, Terry. All right, let's get some soul food in our souls, brother. You Gospel. got it. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. <clears throat> Today's Holy Gospel, John uh, chapter 3, verses 31 to 36. John, John the Apostle writes, The one who comes from, ab- from above is above all. That's a reference to Jesus, that he came from heaven to earth. The one who is of the earth is earthly, that's us, humans, and speaks of earthly things. But the one who comes from heaven that's Jesus, is above all. He, Jesus, testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. So the context is, is that the Jews, most of the Jews did not believe the message of Christ. Like it, like, like it says in the gospel of John chapter one, verse 12, he came to his people and his people received him not. Continue. <clears throat> it's, our, the gospel says today, Whoever does does accept his testimony certifies that God is trustworthy. Well, why why do how, why do you certify that God is trustworthy? If you accept Jesus's testimony because Jesus is the Son of God. He speaks with the authority of the Father. For the one whom God, that's the Father, sent, speaks the words of God. He does not ration his gift of the Spirit. The Father loves the Son, and has given everything over to Him. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoa, that just yep. canceled a whole lot of people on planet Earth. But of course, modernist Catholics will say, oh, don't pay attention to that verse. Every Dare we hope that all men will be saved. That, that verse, don't pay, pay no attention to that verse. <clears throat> uh, I pay attention to every single verse, especially the words of Jesus, most especially. And our Lord says, <clears throat> but whoever disobeys the Son will not see life, 
but the wrath of God remains upon him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Just let me just say one thing, and then I want to get your commentary on this. It hit me like a ton of bricks today at Mass when that Gospel was read that we live in a world where most people just don't think God's big enough to take care of themselves, to take care of him. In other words, them. So they're not willing to give their life to God because they have not encountered the God of the universe. And I think that that comes because of poor catechesis. So you become an adult, and you've never even studied anything on the attributes of God, who God is. So you know what they think God is? Some figment of imagination up on you know, up in the clouds, and uh, but he doesn't really care about me. And so when we when we see people who aren't living the gospel, it's they haven't been introduced to the person of Christ. And I'm going to blame again people like us who are Catholics. We haven't passed on the faith to these people, so they grow up without knowledge and without an experience in the person of Jesus Christ. So this gospel right here says it, and I get it. But we haven't done a good enough job to give people the opportunity to meet the person of Christ so that they will give their lives to Christ. Yeah, I remember uh, years ago in one of Fulton Sheen's lectures, I heard him say, he said that when he drives down the streets of New York and he sees Protestant denominations, he says the the Protestant denominations, he said, are the sins of the Catholic Church. And and he said the reason is because we have failed to evangelize them and give them the the fullness of the faith. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Terry, we up uh, and uh, I'll tell you, tell as Catholics, that's why we're on the radio every single day. We're trying to help people fall in love with God. Yeah. We're trying to give people the truth that will save their soul. Yep. And then we're also trying to slay error and propaganda and half-truths <laughs> and fake news. That's what we're trying to do. You got it. <clears throat> and again, it doesn't mean that we're perfect. No. <clears throat> we are too imperfect. Wait. People say, so why are you guys on radio? Well, I tell people, look at the A-team was chosen by God to do this work. <laughs> Who's the A-team? The bishops and priests. Well, if the A-team is not doing the work or will not do the work, yep. then God will use the B-team. That's right. Who's the B-team? You're listening You're to them. You're looking at them. Yeah. 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 Hey, Jess, I just want to say, um, before we get to break, <clears throat> Bishop Sheen, let's bring Sheen in, the smart guy in the room here. Oh, Sheen ahead. Guys right into this. He says about this, about philosophy. Most people justify the way they live, that is to say, instead of fitting their lives to a philosophy, they invent a philosophy to fit their lives. In other words, they, I think of a guy who does that as uh, Gavin Newsom, who's a baptized Catholic, and you know, he's, he says he's Catholic, but he says, under my conditions. So I think that's what's happening in the world today. We, we live according to our expectations and not God's revelation. That's mm. a big problem, I take. Your thoughts, Jeff? Yeah, Terry. Um, uh, one of the popes said that the big, the greatest evil in the world are lukewarm Catholics. Amen. Yeah. W- whatever happened to sin, it's been open. We come back. What's the problem with Freemasons? Stay with us, family. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. We're back, Jess. What a topic. What's the problem with Freemasonry anyway, Jesse? What is it, man? Hmm. <laughs> the Catholic bishops yeah. of the Philippines reminded Catholics last week that the Catholic Church prohibits its members from becoming members of Masonic lodges. 
I'm looking at a picture of, in this article. It's a picture of Catholic bishops and, and priests. They're fighting against Freemason elders. Yep. And uh, that picture is very accurate in terms of the internal battle that's been going on for hundreds of years. So the Philippine bishops' clarification was issued March 24th by the Episcopal Commission for the Doctrine of the Faith of the country's Bishops' Conference. It followed reports that a growing number of Freemasons had been participating in local Catholic liturgies and events following the parish and diocesan phases of the global synodal process held in the country last year. The bishops of the Philippines have always maintained and defended the official Catholic magisterial positions on the unacceptability of masonry, Mm -hmm. close quote. And the commission wrote, quote, quote, including the provisions of canon law on penalties that Catholics incur by joining masonry, close quote. The clarification explained that the country's bishops had in previous decades asked for the Vatican to clarify the position of the church regarding Freemasonry, undertaken an extensive dialogue with the local Grand Lodge and even petitioned for an exemption from the universal canonical penalties imposed on Catholics becoming Masons. But the commission reiterated those efforts have always been denied and the church's official position still stood. The bishops also noted that while the local hierarchy has always shown openness in the exercise of pastoral circumspection towards Catholics who may have unwittingly, in good faith, sought membership in Masonic associations with the best of intentions, there has never been any doubt about Freemasonry's serious errors, both in doctrine, philosophical tenets, and practices. But what exactly is the church's problem with Freemasonry? And does the church really still have laws against it? Terry's going to give you a little history next. I am. And you know what? I want to just back up just for a minute. You've heard Father Charles Murr speak on this topic just last Monday. And um, Bishop Basha, he was in charge of the Congregation for Bishops. So he was picking all the bishops from 1973 to 1984. And he himself was a card-carrying Mason. So Baggio, I should say, yeah, Baggio. And he was a card-carrying Mason. So when we bring this up to you, we have been infiltrated by Masons, Freemasonry, but the church is still holding strong on it. Let me just give you a history, though. Freemasonry likes to pretend it has links going back to all kinds of weird points in history. If you read the Masonic lore, you'll run across claims that Freemasonry built pyramids, Solomon's Temple, and all sorts of other stuff. I've read that, yes. The real history is this. <laughs> they were medieval trade guides, including for stonemasonry dotted throughout Europe over the centuries. The guilds had levels of membership, which reflected the, work's abili- the, the workers' ability to educate in the trade, apprentice, master, and so on. Since literacy wasn't exactly universal, not everybody knew how to write and read, and the postal system wasn't exactly reliable, the trade unions gave their members secret handshakes and passwords. So when they arrived at a new job site, they could prove their professional qualifications. Now, over time, membership of those guilds and stoneworkers dropped a lot. A lot had to do 
with the fall in the demand for big building projects like castles and cathedrals. And some of it had to do with people becoming a lot less mobile across the continent. The Reformation actually influenced both of these factors. But anyway, in the UK, Masonic lodges needed to find a way to get some new members in to start paying dues, and they started allowing non-stone workers to become members. Boy, that was a good revenue stream. Yeah, they started bringing in the intellectuals. Exactly. Yeah. As a selling point, they played up the legends, the secret handshake, the private clubhouse, aspects of the lodges, and long and short of it, it is they began attracting exactly the kind of people who would like that sort of stuff, right? So philosophers, high-educated people, political people, uh, religious, non-conformist sort of thing. Now, this transition from the network of trade unions to a Gnostic secret, the society took a while, but the formal beginning of Freemasonry, as people now think of it, here it was, 1717, when the first Grand Lodge was founded in a back room of a London pub. The rest of this, now we're going to get into the popes, Jess. Go ahead. From there, Masonic lodges started popping up all over the place. In the beginning, (laughs) Catholics joined too. Francis I of Austria was even a patron since the church hadn't said anything about it Mm -hmm. one way or another. That changed in 1738 when Pope Clement XII banned Freemasonry as promoting religious indifferentism. The idea that it doesn't matter what you believe about God as long as you're a good Mason because everyone in the lodge was serving a higher notion of natural virtue. From Pope Clement until the promulgation of the first Universal Code of Canon Law 1917, eight popes issued encyclicals or papal bulls denouncing Freemasonry and imposing a penalty of automatic excommunication reserved to the Holy See for any Catholic who joined. During those centuries, a lot changed between the Church and the Freemasons. But a lot of what the Church said about why Catholics couldn't join stayed the same. We want to talk about now plots and revolutions. Terry, you want to pick it up? All right. When the church, uh, well, when the church leaders first spoke about masonry as a plotting against the faith, they meant that the Masonic worldview was subverting the teachings of the church for Catholics who joined. Now, teaching them that is was equally valid to be a Catholic, a Protestant, some other religion entirely, or nothing at all, and that it was becoming a Mason, not being baptized which would lead a person to spiritual and moral fulfillment. Wow. You see how it contradicts? And you know, Jesse, here's the thing. It doesn't say in the article, but many Masons today, they don't even know what Masonry stands for. It's a social thing. They're ignorant. Just like you got a lot of baptized Catholics that have no clue about their Catholic faith. Masons have the same thing. I've met people like that. Well, I'll give you an example. Let's just be honest. It, it's like a lot of Knights of Columbus oh, there you go. don't know the first thing about the Catholic faith. Good analogy. It, it's a good old boys club, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So in Catholic countries like Spain, the states of Italian peninsula, the lodges got very political indeed. Masonic secret societies were banned by both the church and the civil governments. In turn, both the church and states were opposed by the Masons, often with equal vigor and even violence. 
Hmm. Now, Jesse, this next part is important for people to understand about Italy, but I'll just read this last one. Despite what you may have heard, there's really not much evidence, if any, that the Masonic lodges had anything to do with starting the French Revolution. Continue, Jess, please. But in what would eventually become Italy, the Masonic lodges of the Carbonari, Mm -hmm. that means charcoal merchants, operated as revolutionary cells against the papal states and other governments. Yep, that's a fact. And and engaged in acts of what we today today pretty easily label terrorism. Yep. Indeed, the architects of the modern nation-state of Italy, the mercenary Giuseppe Garibaldi and Victor Emmanuel, who became the first king of Italy, were both Masons. That's a fact. Garibaldi himself founded the Italian Grand Orient Lodge and served as a Grand Master for several years, while the church absolutely condemned violent revolutions and warned that secret societies fomented such things. Popes continued to ban Freemasonry primarily because of its philosophy, not its politics. In 1821, Pius VII's Apostolic Constitution, Ecclesiam a Jesu Christu, repeated the papal ban on Masonic societies like the Carbonari and denounced their efforts to overthrow the papal states. But the Pope was also clear. The bigger threat came from the Masonic philosophy of religious indifferentism and promotion of what he today would call secularism. It's alive and well today. Continue. Yeah. That means worldliness, yes, worldly we've thinking. we got that right now. In one of several encyclicals condemning Freemasonry, Freemasonry's aims, Pope Leo XIII took specific aim at the secularist agenda, which he said included, quote, the state, which Masonry believes ought to be absolutely atheistic, wow. having the inalienable right and duty to form the heart and the spirit of its citizens, close quote, as well as the treatment of marriage as a merely civil contract, which could be dissolved at will. Wow. According to Pope Leo, part and parcel of Masonry's core belief in religious indifferentism was the need to exclude the church from all aspects of civil society and its institutions, including schools, hospitals, charities, universities, and political debate. That the Pope said had to be opposed. Meanwhile, in America, Masonic lodges openly opposed the opening of Catholic schools, the election of Catholics to public office, and in some cases, jointly endorsed anti-Catholic candidates and legislation along with local branches of the Ku Klux Klan, including into the 20th century. Wow. Terry? Jess, before we go on, we're going to take a quick break, but I want to... This is just the facts, man. Jesse, remember Sergeant Friday? We grew up on that. Just the facts, man. This is the facts on Freemasonry, and I think that this show will demonstrate to you that uh, you cannot be a Mason and a Catholic. And if you are listening and you're a Mason, please get out. It's for the salvation of your own soul. Get out of that. And I want to just mention before we break that we have a men's conference coming up uh, in June with Jesse Romero and his brother Johnny. And, uh, you know, it's right on our website at vmpr.org. I got to tell you, these two guys, when I say two guys, two brothers, they're like sons of thunder. I mean, they... They've been preaching the gospel. They're on the same page. Jess, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you and Johnny are going to do in June for the men's conference? 
Uh, yeah, I, I tell people that my brother Johnny, myself, at yeah. the men's conference, uh, we'll be doing a tag team like wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're, we're the original Sons of Thunder after, uh, after the Apostles. And what you're going to hear, you're going to hear inspirational, orthodox, full-contact Catholicism in a very manly way. Johnny and me are going to turn the Sacred Heart Chapel, the historic Sacred Heart Chapel, into the Lord's Gym that day. And uh, we're going to give you straight talk, high information, blue-collar, no-spin Catholicism that's uh, that's going to give you... The tools that you need so that you can be the St. Joseph of your house and the St. Joseph to your wife, Terry. And Jesse, I want people to know it's the 17th of June. Go to vmpr.org and sign up, Uh, especially you wives. Get your husbands to go to this men's conference. I guarantee you they'll be a better husband after this conference with the Jesse and Johnny men's conference. June 17th from 9 to 5, we got opportunities for confession, holy mass, and some dynamic talks. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. What's the problem with Freemasonry anyway? Stay with us, family. We're back. Wow, what a topic. What's the problem with Freemasonry anyway? I mean, I've had priests who tell me, I'm a Freemason. And in my lifetime, I say, Father, you can't do that. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's okay now. No, no. When you go through all this history of what the church teaches, I mean, come on. Let's let's be real. Just let's continue on this uh, on this ta- article, my friend. Free, uh, Freemasonry often says of itself that it isn't a religion; that it's just a society of men who value fellowship and cooperation and natural virtue. Whatever their different religions may be, actually, though, modern Masonry's chief architect here it is, James Anderson, defined it in his 1728 Masonic Constitution as quote. That religion in which all men agree, close quote. And there are a lot of Masonic rituals, which the church considers to be pretty religious in tone, even kind of quasi-sacramental. The first ritual of initiation in Freemasonry to become an entered apprentice, for example, involves the significant stripping down and removing any articles he may be wearing, like a wedding ring, a crucifix, then... He's told to get half-dressed, wearing a shirt on his right side, one trouser leg rolled up, one slipper and blindfold. Then a noose is placed around his neck, and he's led into the lodge hall where he's announced as Mr. X, who has long been in darkness and now seeks to be brought to the light. That's a mockery of Roman Catholicism. Of course. The candidate is then told to embrace the principle of Freemasonry that the natural eye cannot perceive of the mysteries of the order until the heart has embraced the deep spiritual and mystic meanings of those sublime mysteries. For his part, the aspiring apprentice also affirms that he's in search of the light, which only Masonry can give him. The rest of the ritual involves moments where the candidate is made to process through the hall blindfolded, sometimes at sword point. Unbelievable. The candidate is made to kneel. He's prayed over and eventually admitted to the lodge. I wonder what they pray over you. I can just yeah. imagine. Oh. Turns out you can, you can just buy Masonic ritual manuals if you know where to shop. Uh, sounds pretty normal so far. Well, the church, including eight popes, <laughs> thought that this ritual represents a quasi, kind of quasi-renunciation of the faith for a Catholic. 
a sort of apostasy. You can see why. Sure. Yeah, total defection from the faith, or at least heresy against the graces of a person's baptism and against the church as the minister of salvation. Yeah, Terry, the original that we just shared, it's a complete denial yeah. of what the church teaches in terms of how you're incorporated into the body of Christ. Yeah. Jess, if I could just jump in and say a story that'll put some meat on this. I was in a Franciscan monastery in the late 70s. Uh, St. Maximilian Kolbe was our patron saint. And he had a lot to say about Freemasonry. As a matter of fact, mm. he started the Knights of Columbus, Knights of Immaculata, uh, because of the Freemason in 1917 in Rome as a seminarian. But I remember this, Jesse, that in class, we would pray this prayer, O Mary, conceive without sin, pray for us who have recourse to thee, especially enemies of Holy Church, especially the Freemasons. And then during that summer of 1979, word came from the boss, whoever the boss was, we're not going to name the Freemasons because it's just not politically correct anymore. Because I, I asked the question, raised my eyes, I said, wait a minute. St. Maximilian Colby told us to pray it with the Freemasons by name. Why aren't we doing it? Well, they, they said it's just, you know, we're trying to not be confrontational. And I thought to myself as a young person, no, no, this doesn't work for me. I have a sense, Jesse, that my, that story and other stories in the monastery that didn't add up, many young men, I believe, would have become priests if they wouldn't have compromised on teachings of the church and tried to be politically clicked. Now, I experienced that as a come-see in a Franciscan monastery mm. regarding Freemasonry. So we know they've made inroads into the church because of things like that. Continue, Jess. Yes. And the further the candidate advances in Masonry, mm -hmm. the weirder and more explicitly anti-Catholic the rituals get. Yep. In the third-degree ceremony, oh, the candidate is put through a pantomime of being killed and resurrected. And in the 30th degree of the Scottish Rite, which is actually American, the Mason is presented with a skull wearing a papal tiara and told it represents the tiara wow. of the cruel and cowardly pontiff. Wow. And <clears throat> is therefore the, the crown of an imposter. At one point in the ritual, a senior Mason stabs a skull with a dagger while the candidate yells, down with imposter, down with crime, before stomping on it. <laughs> stomping on the papal tiara. As it happens, the church thinks doing that sort of thing is bad for a Catholic You soul. think? <laughs> hey, Jesse, you know what's so funny about these things? Yeah. Uh, in, the, in the modern church today, you can read this, and certain people are going to go, oh, come on, get over it. Don't be so sensitive. <laughs> I'm like, really, dude? Man, what are you thinking? I mean, but, you know, by the middle part of the 20th century, the opposition between the church and Freemasonry was pretty much universally understood. Even by non-Catholics, everybody knew that wasn't the case. But here it comes. But in the decades following the Vatican II Council, as the new code of canon law was being prepared, check this out, bishops in some places began to ask if all of the papal condemnations we're in a bit out of date. Remember what I just said? Yeah. Mm. In Italy, the Masonic Lodge continued to be the center of the political and criminal scandals. But in some northern European countries, for example, they were broadly considered to be just fraternal clubs. Nobody is advocating for the overthrow of the papal states here, the bishop said. So can Catholics be allowed to join? Go ahead, Jess. Indeed, one of the reasons bishops in different places like the Philippines ask, ask and are asked, yeah, 
if there's really still a problem. Yep. Freemasonry is that people tend to filter their questions through the lens of Catholic conspiracy theories. Breathless step speculation about international plots and secret Masonic infiltration in the church's hierarchy can help sell a lot of books, but the more lurid Dan Brown stuff isn't true. Many people assume there isn't really a problem with Masonry, right? No. Well, no. Yeah, just read Father Murr's book. Yeah. In the 1970s, the bishops of Germany engaged in a six-year dialogue with local Masonic leaders to examine if there was any reason why Catholics shouldn't be allowed to join. Their conclusion, this is when the German bishops were still pretty good, I guess, was that actually there were a lot of reasons why Masonry remained at odds with the Catholic faith and concluded that the Freemasons have essentially not changed. I'm sure if you talk to the Germans today, it would be different. Oh, of course. Memberships places the foundation of Christian existence in question. Detailed investigation of the Masonic rituals and fundamental ideas and of their current unchanged self-undertaking makes clear simultaneous membership in the Catholic Church and Freemasons is incompatible, said the German bishops back in the 70s. Meanwhile, in Rome, the committee charged with redrafting the church's universal penal law was also fielding questions about whether there, there really needed to be an explicit law against Freemasonry in the church anymore. Debate in the drafting committee went back and forth about whether there needed to be either an explicit mention of Freemasonry in a canon dealing with prohibited societies in canon law or an automatic excommunication as a penalty. But while the final version decided to include neither, it wasn't because the church's opinion about Freemasonry had changed. On the contrary, the minutes and notes of the drafting committee record that the cardinals were concerned that mentioning Freemasons by name would give people too narrow of an impression on the ba- of the ban on societies which plot against the church. They actually worried people uh, wouldn't know how, how know to apply or know, would know to apply the law broadly enough to include, as Cardinal Felici put it, all those associations which are against the faith, against the doctrine of the church, close quote. But when the new code was promulgated in 1983, without any explicit mention of Freemasonry in the new canon, Uh, 1374, and without automatic excommunication attached, a lot of people assumed things had changed, even though they hadn't. Yes, let me jump in real quick. Father Murr makes the point that Cardinal Gagnon was asked by Paul VI in 1975 to do a three-year study on the Freemasonry inside the Curia, in other words, inside the church. And uh, he did that, and I want you to get his book. It'll tell you how... He came out was, yes, the Freemasons have infiltrated the church. Let's keep going, Jess. Uh, it says, um, the church's negative judgment, <laughs> the day before the new code of canon law yeah. came into force, the Congregation for the Doctrine of the Faith issued a, de- a declaration of the new law. It says, quote, the church's negative judgment in regard to Masonic associations remains unchanged. The CDS said, since their principles have always been considered irreconcilable with the doctrine of the church and therefore membership in them remains hit forbidden. The faithful who enroll in Masonic associations are in a straight and are in a state of grave sin yep. and may not receive Holy communion uh, on the very bottom. The last sentence, it says this because we're coming to, a, yeah. to, to the end here. Yep. It says, so while the bishops of the Philippines may, may be the latest who have to repeat that the church's stance on masonry hasn't changed, they probably won't be the last. 
And that stance isn't likely to change anytime soon either. Yeah, Jesse, this needed to be said because we have been infiltrated. I keep saying this and people are saying, are you kidding me? Father Murr's book, you can get it on just put Charles Murr. What's the name of his book, Terry? 33 yeah. Degree uh, right. Murder, right? Mur- or Murder, murder, murder by the 33 30. Degree. Yeah, Murder in yeah. the 33 yeah. Degree. And if you can get the book, you'll see what was going on and how Paul VI knew something was going on in the mid-70s. Remember he said in the in 70, uh, it was summer of 72, when he said the smoke of Satan has entered the church. I think he, he was thinking of Freemasonry because Freemasonry and Catholicism are opposites. And when this interview, when this a three-year study came to fruition, Paul VI had died in the summer of 78. Paul, John Paul II had become the Pope in 79. And um, it took, it's an interesting take on what actually took place. But, you know, if you think about it, Bugnini, who uh, also played a role in the liturgy, uh, was, was also a Freemason. Yes, he was a Freemason, and they took him out and took him to Iran to handle about 150 Catholics in Iran. So, I mean, you see that we were infiltrated, and let's just pray that we continue to stay hold strong on defending the Catholic faith against Freemasonry. Jess, what do we have up next? Seven things what you know about yeah, divine Yes, seven mercy? things that we need to know about the divine mercy. Wow, wow. Yes. Wow. Let's end with that. You're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Stay with us, family. Seven things to know about divine mercy in the mm-hmm. diary of St. Faustina. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Seven, seven facts to know about the, the amazing Divine Mercy devotion. First of all, I wanted to say something about the Divine Mercy. Uh, sometimes some people will say, I've heard some people criticize, they'll say, oh, the Divine Mercy, you know, it's not part of the tradition of the church. Uh, and I've heard some people use use that argument. First of all, I'll say number one, St. Faustina, she came way before Vatican II. So if anybody was the Tridentine Mass, she was way before the council. She was right after her revelations were right after World War One. Yep. Secondly, she was canonized by a saint, St. John Paul II. Um, and uh, uh, Father Gabriel Amorth, the, the premier exorcist of the 20th century, Said that uh, that the he said the devil fears Saint John Paul II, especially <laughs> when you when you call him, when a, when an exorcist calls him yeah. in in actual uh, rites of exorcism. I asked Father Ripperger when I saw him a couple of weeks ago, and I asked him if he's ever had any experience with Saint Paul Saint John Paul II during exorcism. He's he told me he goes he's shown up twice. Uh, in, in, in my exorcisms twice in already in, in he's been an exorcist for 15 years he goes he's shown up twice uh to assist in an exorcism saint john and that's the father ripperger told me so let's go on to the seven facts to know about the amazing divine mercy devotion yes number one in the diary of saint faustina jesus appeared to a poor polish nun saint maria faustina kowalska and charged her with spreading his message of mercy to the world. By the way, the message of mercy, that's the message of the Bible. Exactly. It's a, it's a reaffirmation the, of the gospel, brother. Yeah. The, 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 the word mercy is found over, if you do a word search, it's found over 300 times yeah. in the Bible. It's, a, it's one of those, it's the, the Hebrew word is hesed. Sometimes it's interpreted mercy or love. Uh, 
uh, or kindness. It's the Hebrew word hesed. It says, her more than 600 diary pages hold the message and devotion to Jesus as a divine mercy. The release of her diary sparked the movement that led to the spreading of the official image and devotion. Uh, note from the author, he says, I will, uh, uh, I will reference excerpts from the diary numerous times in this article. Terry, what's point number two? Number two, the Lord's mercy is greater than our sins, mm. and he desires for us to turn to him with trust and repentance before our judge. The message of divine mercy is not new to the church teaching. Pope Benedict XVI described it as the center of the gospel. Jesse, I just want to mention what you just said earlier. There's nothing a person can do that asking for forgiveness and the mercy of God cannot take care of. And I, I always quote that uh, you know, quote from, from our, our friend about nothing on earth can really mess us up much because if we know we die in the state of grace and repent of our sins, we're in heaven for all eternity. So this second message about the mercy is greater than our sins, that should be very, very consoling. I mean, I've seen people, I've read stories of people even on death row where they went to confession. I mean, they had murdered somebody, right? And the mm-hmm. opportunity for him to go to confession, repent, and believe in the gospel. Can you imagine he stole heaven? Yeah, that's that's that a, happens a, sometimes. That's Not a often. perfect example of, of the mercy of God and how far it goes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Point number three, the image. Yeah. The image was the first element of devotion revealed by Jesus on February 22nd, 1931, and referred to as a vessel of grace. Jesus said this to St. Faustina, put an image according to the pattern you see with the signature, Jesus, I trust in you. I desire that this image be venerated first in your chapel and then throughout the world. I promise that the soul that will venerate this image will not perish. I also promise victory over its enemies already here on earth, especially at the hour of death. Wow. I myself will defend it as my own glory. Diary 47 to 48. Remember, the physical image itself is not to be worshipped. It's a vessel reminder of the source and reality of this image. I also know uh, many exorcists. Yes. Uh, when they're doing an exorcism, yeah. they'll have the divine mercy image right behind them wow. uh, in, in life size, a life size divine mercy image right behind them. And they say it's very effective in tormenting and driving out demons as well. Of course, number four, divine mercy chaplet. The chaplet of divine mercy was given to St. Faustina in 1935 during a private revelation. It is a powerful way to meditate upon the passion and is prayed using ordinary rosary beads, five decades, and you can find a full how-to-do guide here, and you can do it right on the internet also. Jesus revealed promises attached to praying the Divine Mercy Chaplet. And here's what he said, Diary 1731. Through the chaplet, you will obtain everything if what you are asking for is compatible with the divine will of God. Wow. That's powerful right there, Jesse. Again, I've seen people praying, and you've seen it too. We got only a few minutes, but they at the, at, on the deathbed of people, and it's so important to pray that divine chaplet at, at someone's bedside. Go ahead. Yeah, especially if you can't get a priest, just exactly. take out your rosary. If you don't have a rosary, take out your ten fingers and start doing the chaplet of divine mercy uh, in the presence of the person who's sick and dying, right. and ask them if, if they're if they're cognizant. 
If they're lucid, ask yeah. them, open your heart and pray along with me. If you do that, Jesus Christ says that when they die, he will not appear to them as a just judge, but as their merciful Savior. Incredible, incredible. Yeah, if they accept his divine mercy through prayer in their heart, uh, have, wow. it, have, have a moment of contrition at the last moment of their life. Takes. That's what it takes. Point number five, the hour of mercy starts at three o'clock, which is the hour at which Jesus died on the cross. Jesus explained to St. Faustina in diary 1572, quote, I remind you, my daughter, that as often as you hear the clock strike the third hour, immerse yourself completely in my mercy, adoring and glorifying it, invoking its omnipotence for the whole world and particularly for poor sinners. For at that moment, mercy has opened wide for every soul. In this hour, you can obtain everything for yourself and for others. For the asking, it was the hour of grace for the whole world. Mercy triumphed over justice. At paragraph 1320. At three o'clock, implore my mercy, especially for poor sinners. And if only for a brief moment, immerse yourself in my passion, particularly in my abandonment at the moment of agony. This is the hour of great mercy for the whole world. I will allow you to enter into my mortal sorrow. In this hour, I will refuse nothing to the soul that makes a request of me in virtue of my passion. Wow. Number six, the feast. Jesus requested solemn celebration to be the first Sunday after Easter. That was last week. And and man, the confession line. Yeah, get the confession. This is all part of it. It's beautiful. She said, I desire that the Feast of Mercy be a refuge and a shelter for all souls. Not for many souls, Jesse. All souls, and especially for poor sinners. On that day, the very depths of my tender mercy are open. I pour out a whole ocean of graces upon those souls who approach the fountain of my mercy. Get to confession that day, which I did. The soul will go to confession and receive Holy Communion shall obtain complete forgiveness of sin and punishment. The feast of mercy emerged from my very depths of tenderness. Jesse, I just have to say something. When I did that, when I went to confession and received Holy Communion last Sunday, I read this and I went, wow, man, Mm. why wouldn't I want to do this? Are you kidding me? This is fantastic. Now, it was St. John Paul II who officially established Divine Mercy Sunday as a feast day for the entire church. I just want to mention one more quick thing, Jesse. St. John Paul II was the one who got this official approval of divine mercy because there was a translation problem from Polish to Italian, and he was the one that corrected it so that every all the theologians can say, oh yeah, that makes sense, total sense. So I just mentioned that. Number seven, Jess. Novena. The divine mercy novena begins on Good Friday, mm-hmm. nine days before the divine mercy Sunday. The Lord said, quote, by this novena, I will grant every possible grace to souls, paragraph 1796. In giving us this novena, Jesus also provided us with special intentions for each day. On each day, you will bring, paragraph 1209, on each day, you will bring to my heart a different group of souls. On each day, they will beg my father on the strength of my bitter passion for graces for these souls. That's in paragraph 1209. And uh, if you click on this article, you can get the full instruction uh, of the, from, the, from, from the diary of St. Faustina, if you click on this article. Last thing I want to mention is, is I've heard some people, uh, you know, Catholics that would consider themselves more Orthodox and traditional say, nah, yeah. Jess, the Divine Mercy is a post-Vatican II liberal. I've heard that. You know, yeah, yeah. So uh, here's my response to somebody say, oh, Divine Mercy, that's post-Vatican II liberal nonsense. 
Really? Well, here's what I would say. Number one, <laughs> divine. God is divine. Where does it say that? Acts 17, 29, Romans 1, 20, 2 Peter 1, 4. The Bible says God is divine. Mercy is mentioned over three times in the Bible. So divine mercy is biblical. It comes right from the Bible. God's called divine in the Bible, and mercy is mentioned over 300 times. So this is not post-Vatican II nonsense. No way. This is biblical tradition. Also, our Lord talks about God's divine mercy in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 to 14. Uh, he says that in comparison to the Pharisee and the publican. He talks about God's divine mercy in Luke 18, verse 19 to 4. Also, Our Lady talks about the divine mercy of God in her Magnificat in Luke chapter 1, verse 50 and, 50 and, and 54. That's it? Yeah, you're not going <laughs> to call Our Lady a post-Vatican II nonsense, no. right? Also, Zechariah, yeah. uh, the uncle of the Blessed Mother in Luke chapter 1, verse 72 to 78, talks about God's divine mercy. So does King David, co- talks about God's divine mercy in Psalm 136. He mentions it 26 times. In Psalm 118, David mentions it four times. In Daniel chapter 3, the prophet Daniel mentions God's divine mercy three times. The word mercy in Latin, misericordia, it means tender-hearted. It also means the heart that gives itself to those in need. So the divine mercy is not some post-1965, you know, uh, you know, modernist of prayer. The divine mercy is thoroughly rooted in the Old and New Testament. And Jesse, I would, I would say this, that God's providence brought it in at this time of history when mankind has never seen such sin in regarding abortion, euthanasia, yeah. look, same-sex abortion. Yeah. Uh, come on, this is a time for mercy. Come on, now. Not, come on man. Win. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> hey, Jess, what's, what state should we be living in with this divine mercy? Go ahead. Not the state of Washington. <laughs> the, state, the state of grace. Not the state of mortal sin. Catholics, pick up your rosary. Pick up those beads for the battle. Yep. Read your Holy Bible every day, the Mass readings. And uh, as St. Peter says, the first pope, flee this corrupt generation. Terry. Well said. And I want to just bring up Our Lady again, Our Lady of Fatima. She said that souls are going to hell, right? Because no one's there to pray and make sacrifices. If you notice about divine mercy, sacred heart of Jesus, it's the same message. Turn your life to Jesus Christ. Repent and believe in the gospel. The gospel. Yes. That's the message. Mm-hmm. Come on, let's yep. get it. Hey, come on now. remember, come on, man. But remember, <laughs> any sacrifices you can make, offer it up for sinners because this... You can participate in the salvific work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Each one of us can do that. I don't care if you're four years old or 104. And I will just say, keep the faith, spread the faith, live the faith. God bless you. Yeah.